Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, your host here on Felony Friday, and I want to try something new. Um, Don't have an ad for you here or anything like that, but I have a request. So I want to try something with Apple Podcast reviews. Um, They're very important in podcasts, and they help you get more attention and eyeballs on your podcast. You get in the, uh, you know, you rank up in the categories, all that stuff. So I would like people to give five-star reviews. So I'm going to reward people who give us five-star reviews, review the podcast, say something nice, and then if after you do that, if you drop either a topic you'd like me to talk about, a question, and ask me anything, you know, you can ask me a random question, and I will address it on the show if it's it's appropriate. But you can drop that after your five-star rating and your review, put what you want to talk about there on the show I will talk about it, and um, and it helps the show. It helps you influence the show. It's a uh, it's a win win. So please consider doing that. Make sure even if you listen on you know Spotify or Overcast or whatever, do it on Apple Podcast. They have the most control right now, so do it there, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you very much. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers. Yes, you, even you freedom lovers. Welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And, you know, this week, have a great show. Um, I'm going to introduce my guest here just shortly, but before I do that, Top of the show, I want to uh, just talk about a couple reviews that we've got. You know, at the the top intro part here, you heard about reviews that we're you know asking for on the show, and I'm offering to answer questions and you know allow you guys to influence the podcast through uh, these Apple Podcast reviews. So I'm going to just read two or three here, and uh, I know there's more out there, so maybe next week I'll read a few more keep putting them out there and maybe I'll do it every single week. Maybe it'll be batched up. Maybe I'll do it at the end of the show, beginning of the show. I don't know. But right now I'm going to read some reviews. So let's go through from uh, June 5th. Um, This is uh, from Jim ZZZZZ. Really appreciate you guys flying the criminal justice reform flag the whole time. The stuff is timely, especially now that a lot more people are realizing how messed up the system really is. You guys should really look at what immigration detention is up to, talk about no accountability, and all the administrative police safe indefinite detention stuff that everybody in the system is getting COVID, and the police state on steroids. Runs on federal uh, regulations, no oversight, and skips Bill of Rights because detention uh, is not done for crimes. Anyway, Love what you do. Keep up the great work. You keep up the great work, Jim ZZZZ. Thank you for the review, man. And uh, I do want to do a show uh, focusing on indefinite detention, immigration, and at least at least one show. So I'm, I'm going to try to do that in the next uh, month or two here. So thank you for the recommendation, good sir. Um, next up, so this one is from CST530. This podcast is not just for libertarians anymore. 
The lions are out there trying to solve the world's problems, and everyone would be well advised to have a listen, especially to Felony Friday with your boy John Odermatt. Like I said, he's got the solutions for all the problems, especially ones pertaining to criminal injustice. He has the in in parentheses. I like it. And uh, he's been at it for years. Do yourself a favor. Listen to the Lions of Liberty. Well, thank you so much for the uh, the kind words, CST530. Uh, appreciate it. No question. So I will just uh, take the kind words and the compliments, and uh, I'll read one more here. And I'll actually take that as a, a minute to plug my seven criminal justice, my seven uh, essential, my seven common sense criminal justice reforms. Everyone, check out that article. Go to uh, lionsofliberty.com. Search for uh, seven essential policing reforms that will pop up. Honestly, you could just search on the internet. In Google, just type Lions of Liberty, seven essential reforms. Probably the first thing that pops up. Find the article. Share it. Um, this is a way that we can influence the discussion. As uh, our friend here, CST530, said that you know, Lions of Liberty, we're not just talking libertarians. We're talking to the whole world, or I don't know. We're talking. We're at least talking to Americans. Um, eh, probably talking to the whole world. We have a lot of people outside the U.S. that listen. And last one for today. I mean, there's more. We've had more recently, but I'm just gonna do uh, do one more for today. So this is from uh, Penny Pie One Two Three. All three of their podcasts are worthwhile. But particularly at this moment, I am proud to say that I've been listening to Felony Friday and sharing the stories with loved ones, friends, and students. This podcast has been casting a spotlight on our broken criminal justice system and making suggestions for meaning for meaningful reforms for years. I wish I could read. Sometimes I can't read. Um, thank you, Penny Pie. I really do appreciate that. And once again, no question, um, no suggestion. That's fine. Love the review. But uh, please, if you're... Uh, Going to leave a review. You might as well ask a question, drop a comment, um, say something uh, you'd like me to cover, because that's an opportunity to influence the show. So I'm not going to uh, say anything else here other than just let's get rolling with today's episode. My guest today on Felony Friday is Ted Visner. Ted was released from a Michigan State prison on May 7th of this year. This was after having served two years resulting from malicious prosecution uh, that he was not permitted to meaningfully participate in. Uh, this is where police, by the direction of the prosecutor, this is the prosecutor's name, Bernard Capolino, stole exculpatory evidence from his home to keep this, crit- to keep this evidence um, out of uh, the trial, out of the uh, proceedings, and from being presented to his jury. Ted, welcome to Felony Friday. Thanks for having me. Very much appreciated. Well, it's great to uh, be speaking with you. We've been emailing back and forth and trying to figure out the, the best time that works for each of us. But <laughs> it's good to talk with you now. Um, before we get into really the the injustice that you suffered here and the the crazy story, the really the the circus you experienced uh, through the judicial system, um, maybe if you just give us some background on yourself. Um, I know you used to be, maybe still are, a, a marijuana caregiver, and uh, that's how, how you ended up in trouble, I guess, uh, through, through that uh, profession. Uh, could you tell us how you got into that? Uh, what uh, what, what uh, really pushed you down that path? Well, just a real quick uh, recap. Um, 
I went into the Navy out of high school, um, spent six years in the Navy on submarines, had a top secret security clearance. I uh, was in charge of uh, taking care of nuclear ballistic missiles. Um, after I got out of the Navy, I started my construction company in 1991 and have been a builder this entire time since then. Um, I saw an opportunity to uh, kind of diversify and get into the emerging medical marijuana industry here in Michigan in 2016. And I, I started doing it. It was, it was uh, kind of an experiment at first in that uh, I didn't know if I could actually do it properly. But as it turned out, I, I did great and uh, decided to make a go of it, um, learned the laws um, thoroughly inside now related to medical marijuana in Michigan and felt very comfortable that I could, you know, um, derive an income from the creation of a medical marijuana business. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I started QPS, which stands for Qualified Patient Served, and started uh, started uh, treating uh, the palliative uh, care needs of the people here in Michigan through the use of medical marijuana. So you're, uh, you know, you started this business. You're you're making money. You're running a profitable business, helping people. Um, how do things go sideways? How how do you get tied up with, uh, you know, being arrested? When I got started, I sent a letter to the uh, to the Bay County Sheriff's Office, and I told them what I was doing. If they had any questions, uh, I forwarded them all of my contact information. Uh, again, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to cross any lines. You know, I'm 53 years old and now I'm a felon. But prior to this, I've not had issues uh, with with the law and have maintained, you know, uh, a clean, clear record. Um, the uh, it, it was kind of interesting in 2008, uh, 2017, when this happened, um, I actually received a bulletin from the state's regulatory authority uh, called LARA, uh, stands for Licensing and um, Regulatory Affairs, L-A-R-A. And they actually gave permission to operating uh, facilities um, to continue operating uh, until the state could uh, flush out their business license applications. Um, so I was operating, uh, you know, I, uh, my prosecution was, a, was a stopped by the entrapment by estoppel doctrine, which states that one, one hand of the government can't tell you it's all right to do something while the other one, um, raids your house, steals all your stuff and throws you in prison. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what happened. Um, uh, this bulletin is dated September 12, 2017. I was rated on October 11, 2017. And the, the deadline established in this official bulletin from the state of Michigan uh, said that I had until December 15th to wind down my operations as an unlicensed uh, facility here in Michigan. So with that authority, with that permission, um, I continued to do what I was doing. And um, the, the police took it upon themselves uh, with, the, with the help of the prosecutor you mentioned, Bernard Coppolino, and uh, concocted a criminal complaint 
that failed to accuse me of committing a crime, which, which is really the biggest component of this entire issue. Mm-hmm. See, the Medical Marijuana Act came out in 2008, and at that time, the prosecutors of Michigan started to realize that they couldn't prosecute for marijuana offenses like they had done previous to 2008. And the state undertook, through the Prosecutors Association of Michigan, a rewrite of the criminal complaints that are used against the people mm-hmm. uh, with regard to, to marijuana charges. And they got halfway through their edit and called it good. They had they deleted the actual criminal charge from the complaint and never substituted it with anything new. And that's how my complaint is written. So in my complaint, and I just sent you a picture of it. I don't know if we can put it up on the screen or not, but it, uh, it accuses me of doing something contrary to Michigan compiled law without any further specificity. So I'm being prosecuted for over 13 months and, and the judge doesn't know what my charges are. And the prosecutor claims that he's prosecuting me for the sale of marijuana, which is not a crime in Michigan. Michigan, uh, in 1978, with the Michigan controlled, Michigan's version of the controlled, Federal Controlled Substances Act, um, made delivery and manufacture marijuana a crime, and those are the things that licensed medical marijuana primary care, caregivers were allowed to do, deliver and manufacture. And that's, and that's what it says on your complaint. It says controlled substance, delivery, manufacture, marijuana. But you're saying what's missing is after... And it is it's kind of cut off here, but controlled substance marijuana semicolon contrary to MCL semicolon saying after that semicolon there should be a comp- no. uh, well before the semicolon because the semicolon divides the sentence into standalone sentence segments. Right, right. In Michigan, the complaint is supposed to not only accuse somebody of the crime but also um, the the uh, penalty sought by the prosecutor. So the complaint is supposed to have both elements, the crime and the penalty. So what they did here is they took the number out from before the semicolon, um, leading me to believe that I was being prosecuted for violating the Michigan compiled law in general uh, without a number. And then, and then after the semicolon, there should be another MCL. And then that number you see there, which is the penalty. So what what should have they put there? Well, they wrote it, this up properly. What, what what would have been there? Well, obviously the prosecutors in Michigan had had some uh, a conflict or didn't know, um, but I believe that uh, MCL seven um, MCL three 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 dot seven four zero one sub one should have been uh, entirely before the semicolon. And I think the reason why they didn't put that number there is because that particular statute relating to marijuana, mm-hmm. and more particularly the delivery manufacturer marijuana, starts off with the following three words, which is except as authorized. Now, state licensed medical marijuana primary caregivers are authorized by the state to deliver and manufacture the controlled substance marijuana. Mm-hmm. So prosecutors didn't really want to put in my opinion, the prosecutors didn't want to put that particular statute in the criminal complaint because how, how would a prosecutor get a conviction when the, when the violation says except is authorized? So, so this, in your opinion, 
this wasn't an error. This was intentional. And is this something that you think or you know is being done to other people in the state of Michigan? Well, of course. And that, that's why I'm getting such a, a lashback from, from the Michigan higher courts, the Michigan Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court. There's um, uh, the Medical Marijuana Act in Michigan was enacted in 2008. So that's, that's 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So since that time, Michigan has been prosecuting people for marijuana charges that aren't marijuana charges. You can't prosecute somebody uh, by saying they violated Michigan compiled law. You have to specify the actual violation of Michigan law. When you don't do that, you take away the defendant's ability to defend himself. You take away the defendant's ability to examine uh, those making the allegations against you. Mm-hmm. See, when, when you're facing a, uh, a criminal complaint, criminal charges that don't specify a crime, uh, you don't know what to do. I mean, what, what are you supposed to, what did I do? Just tell me what I did wrong. Let me defend myself and good luck to you. <laughs> So, so you sent me a uh, a video, which was proceedings. But I guess you were in a uh, remote location or in in the jail um, with, with the judge, and you were pointing this out to the judge that there was no penalty specified. And can you take? Can you walk us through what what happened there? Well, yeah. Keep in mind, I was in jail for two days. Um, I'm wearing my prescription sunglasses because the police broke my glasses. I was going to ask you about that. Look like yeah, and, you were you know, I, I look like a hood in the video, but that's how I, I was in jail. Keep in mind, I was snatched out of my house at five o'clock in the morning. So was it a those, no knock no knock raid? <laughs> I'm bare, basically wearing my pajamas. Um, and, and the only glasses that I could see with were my prescription sunglasses. Mm-hmm. So it a, mean, let, let's just step back there for a minute. So you they got you at your house at 5 a.m. Was it a, a no-knock raid at your house, or how did they apprehend you? It was a no-knock raid at my house. There were 60-plus police officers involved in this no-knock raid. Um, a little bit expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they did that twice. God. So what, what happened? They uh, – did they bust your door down, or how'd they? Yeah, they well, they, they they smashed my door with a battering ram, put a huge dent in it, and broke all the trim, and the, you know, the door was barely operable after they left. And of course, I went to jail and didn't come home for two and a half years after that. Um, so it's uh, it, it was it was a travesty. I mean, what they did, they they went around with a with a club and they smashed all my security cameras. Um. They, they, they jerked me out of the house, broke my glasses, threw me in jail. So I'm, I'm defend, trying to defend myself from jail against non-charges. And, and it made me sound kind of silly in, in the first arraignment, which predates the one you're looking at there. But I still got the point across to the judge that, hey, look, I'm, I'm not being accused of a crime here. These are non-charges. You're saying I did something contrary to MCL without specifying what exactly you're telling me I'm, I'm, I'm accused of, you know, and see the, the fourth amendment of the United States constitution protects us against these things. Okay. Um, I've got up here on my screen here from fine law, the definition of probable cause, 
uh, generally refers to the requirement in a criminal law that police have adequate reason to arrest someone, conduct a search, or seize property relating to an alleged crime, period. The, the key part for me here is to an alleged crime. See, when the police don't allege me, uh, allege that I've committed a crime, this instantly invalidates the raid warrant, the seizure warrant, and the arrest warrant all, all together. The prosecutor, um, it goes on to say that the probable cause um, must exist and it's required for prosecutors to charge a defendant with a crime as well to justify the issuance of any warrants. The, the key here is that probable cause can never be found. There is not a possible probable cause theory that you could come up with um, based on unstated criminal conduct. You have to say what the crime is in order to develop any type of legitimate probable cause theory. So in my case, the, the courts and the prosecutor and the police didn't allege a crime and any attempt and effort to create some probable cause theory are completely out the window because they didn't specify a crime to begin with. Mm -hmm. I think I sent you a copy of the transcripts from September 12th, 2018, where the, the court, the judge, Harry P. Gill, asked the prosecutor if I was being prosecuted under that first MCL I told you, which was MCL 333.7401 sub 1, the prosecutor said, no, the defendant currently, currently faces charges for the sale of marijuana. And again, the sale of marijuana is not a crime in Michigan. And there's a, there's a big long story behind that. Um, prosecutors all over the country prosecute people for delivery and manufacture of marijuana because it's easier for a prosecutor to get a conviction based on delivery than it is for sale due to the simple fact that if selling marijuana was a crime, you'd actually have to prove that a transaction took place. Mm -hmm. So the mere delivery of it is, is made the crime. That's why when I say Michigan and most states and, and the federal government even doesn't make the sale of marijuana a crime specifically, what they do is they make the delivery manufacturer the crime because it's easier for state and federal prosecutors to prosecute. Because yeah, if it was the sale, you'd have to document a, a cash transaction somehow or some sort of paper trail, right? Yeah, exactly. They'd have to have marked money and go through all the hassle of proving that a transaction took place. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest part of that, I think, is um, um, it, it's much easier to prove delivery. And... And when the Medical Marijuana Act was enacted in 2008, um, it did not make the sale of marijuana legal, but it did make lawful the uh, delivery and manufacture of marijuana, which are the, the primary uh, components. Um, were, were there any restrictions that, around quantity or anything like that? No, in fact, what I had never even came up in my prosecution. I let the court know this right out of the gate, as you see from the video there, that, look, you, you guys are prosecuting me uh, without criminal charges. And um, for a court to do that is a usurpation of power. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, there's a lot of white noise related to sovereign citizen stuff about 
personal jurisdiction or jurisdiction over the person and the straw man issue, blah, blah, blah. This hasn't anything to do with that, but that kind of thing causes white noise that kind of drowns out what I'm trying to say here in that um, a court does not obtain jurisdiction to try a person for a crime unless the crime has been stated and specified according to Michigan law. Mm-hmm. So when a court proceeds uh, without a stated crime and a criminal prosecution, the court is actually using power that the court does not have. Subject matter jurisdiction is, is the foundation of a criminal prosecution. If the prosecutor fails to specify a crime, the court has no right to try a case. They have to dismiss. That's the only thing that they're empowered to do is dismiss the case. And how hard would that be? I mean, the court dismisses the case and the prosecutor comes back with legitimate charges. Well, if it weren't intended to be a malicious prosecution out of the gate, that's probably what would have happened. Mm -hmm. But I was prosecuted for 13 months and the court was unwilling to recognize the jurisdictional challenge I posed to the court. And it's a foundational issue. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out uh, my man Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards freeing Ross Ulbricht. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave labor, they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic or major. But let's walk through that for a minute. So how did they continue to prosecute you without bringing, you know, to actually what you violated from, from the complaint? Like how, how did they keep, how did they continue the, the trial? It doesn't... Well... <laughs> They prosecuted me for the sale of marijuana, as you can see from the transcripts dated September 12th. Keep in mind that I'd been prosecuted up till that point for 11 months on unstated criminal charges. Um, The prosecutor told the judge that I was being prosecuted for the sale of marijuana, which is again, not a crime. The the trouble with this is it sounds illegal, Uh, especially when the prosecutor says it. Well, Mr. Visner is being prosecuted for the illicit sales of marijuana. Well, where's the charge for that? There isn't one. (laughs) That's their problem. See, here's the thing. Before 2008, uh, sales and delivery um, used to be kind of, they weren't synonymous ever, and they're still not today. But prior to 2008 and the enactment of the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, they were used uh, interchangeably. And they could be used interchangeably uh, because it, it, uh, delivery of marijuana was, was still illegal. Mm-hmm. There, there was no legal way to deliver marijuana like there is today. So the, the problem kind of stems from 
the history of the prosecution of uh, marijuana people um, from prior to 2008 when the delivery was was still illegal or not authorized or, or allowed uh, through licensure in the state of Michigan. See, what happened is in 2008, Michigan made the delivery of marijuana uh, for sale as a permission through licensure. So I went to the state and I paid my $85 or whatever it was, and I got permission from the state to participate in the medical use of marijuana, which includes the delivery and manufacture. It also includes the acquisition, possession, cultivation, manufacture, extraction, use, internal possession, delivery, transfer, and transportation of marijuana. See, all of those permissions were granted to me under the, under the medical use of marijuana definition from the Medical Marijuana Act, which includes all 10 of those different things that I could do. Um, it did not need to include sale because previous to the Medical Marijuana Act, selling marijuana, like I said, wasn't illegal. So, so the Medical Marijuana Act did not need to include the word sale in that list of permissions that it sold me to do. Um, th that's kind of the, what I was leading up to and, and wanting to make known is that delivery and sale are two different things. They, they have two different meetings. They're not synonymous with one another. And especially today, since the enactment of the Medical Marijuana Act, they have radically different meetings. I'm just trying to wrap, still trying to wrap my mind around this case. So you spent two and a half years in jail. Um, there was never a jury trial, was there? Yes, there was. Oh, there was? I, uh, I refused to uh, have the appointment of counsel, and that was another big issue in my case. I went to court one day um, after getting rid of my, my paid lawyer for not, for not helping me, um, and the judge brings this paper, has the prosecutor hand deliver it to me, and the judge orders me to sign this paper. And I'm looking at this paper and it said, uh, request for the appointment of counsel. And I said, how can you order me to sign this? And he says, well, I'm just ordering you to sign it. So you have to sign it by court order. I said, well, thanks, but no thanks. I'll be handling my defense on my own. Thank you very much. What was so, your reason for that? <laughs> so then the judge prosecuted me for criminal contempt of court. See, keep in mind, I was out on bail at this point and I was defending myself and I'd stumbled across the entrapment by estoppel doctrine and I was about ready to use that. Um, but the judge ordered me to sign this request for the appointment of counsel so that he wouldn't have to deal with me and with these issues that I'm bringing to bear right now. Well, and, why wouldn't he have to deal with it? Because a lawyer, a lawyer would convince you not to do that, not to well, go that route? Yeah, a court-appointed lawyer yeah. can never bring this kind of thing to the court because it it's uh, actually physically demonstrates the appearance of impropriety. And of course, the, the courts right now are, are doing everything in their power to keep that from happening. Because, you know, if, if you're paying attention to world events, uh, government's losing its control here in, Mich in Michigan, uh, especially. But a, a, lot, a lot of places, government's losing yeah, A lot of places. So, so with the appointment of counsel, none of these issues would have ever seen the light of day because if you're represented by counsel and you're a prisoner or you're uh, being prosecuted, you cannot speak on your own behalf. 
they will absolutely prevent you from from saying boo and, and even if you do get a word in edgewise it's stricken from the record because you're represented by counsel so all in all good. they they uh, the judge ordered me to sign that and then criminally prosecuted for disobeying his order um, because one of my bond conditions was that um, I would not violate Michigan law. So if the judge were able to actually convict me of criminal contempt, that would have been in violation of my bond and they'd have thrown me back in jail. Instead, they had to con con concoct another warrantless raid, uh, search and seizure, throw me back in jail uh, and that's that's what the arraignment's about there um, that you have the video of. It's only a minute and twenty eight seconds. It, it, uh, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty damning. Those charges were ultimately dropped, but that second set of malicious prosecution uh, forced me to defend myself against the charges I ultimately went to prison for. Um, and that's that was the intent to uh, to tie me up, to tie my hands, to put me back in jail, to strip me from the exculpatory evidence that I had, so that I could not present that to the jury, so that the court could convict me and, and throw me away. Yeah, what, so I'll, I'll link to that video on our show notes page for this episode. That'll be at lionsofliberty.com/ff233. I'll link to that. Any other links or? Uh, any other documents you want to put up there, Ted, we'll, we'll put that on that page so people can find it and, uh, and learn more about the case. So to come back to the, to the jury trial, what, what ended up happening at, at the trial? Well, it, at the jury trial, I was not allowed to submit any evidence. Um, my medical marijuana cards were, were kept from me. That's the primary thing that was seized in the raid, never tabulated by police, and I was not allowed access to that. It was essentially taken by the prosecutor to um, to hide and suppress this exculpatory evidence. Um, not being able to show the jury that I was licensed to deliver and manufacture marijuana was the intent of the prosecution to earn the conviction. Now, I was originally charged with 18 counts, 18 felony counts. Um, I was actually found guilty of six counts of manufacture deliver without an, without a specified crime. And to each one of those, they attached a felony firearm charge to that in Michigan, it makes it a crime to commit a felony while in possession of a gun. And of course I was operating my medical marijuana dispensary out of my home mm -hmm. and uh, my guns are here. My kids' guns are here. Right. Uh, I was in possession of 12 guns when, when this, when this all went down. So, they were able to um, sentence me to one day in jail for six counts to be served consecutively, or no, concurrently, uh, or a total of one day in jail for all of the marijuana charges. And, and to that felony, they tied this two-year mandatory minimum uh, gun charge with no possibility of parole. So it, it's basically a two-year mandatory prison sentence because I'm a Second Amendment supporter and I had my guns at my home. Mm -hmm. the, the key here is that this is an enhancing charge. It only, it only attaches to a legitimate underlying felony, and that's why it's so important to recognize that the complaint in this case does not specify 
a felony for that gun charge to attach. So did you, during the, the trial, did you, did you win or how did you, well, you end up? <laughs> no, no, I didn't win. Um, uh, again, I wasn't able to show the jury uh, any evidence uh, related to my Michigan medical marijuana licensure. Um, I wasn't allowed to call in the state's evidence um, because it was considered hearsay. Um, I, I, uh, the, the police came to my house and purchased marijuana with fraudulently issued um, medical marijuana program cards that were actually issued by the state of Michigan. So these undercover police officers were issued these fraudulent fake medical marijuana cards. They came to me, they showed me their fake driver's license, their fake medical marijuana card, and I assisted them in the medical use of marijuana and uh, they paid me for that service. So they, they um, broke the law in order yeah. to... <laughs> <laughs> so so um, they left with uh, a sandwich bag uh, stapled shut so they wouldn't be breaking any laws when they left. And on there was my business card. And on the back of my business card, I had a quote from Michigan law under uh, MCL uh, 333.26424. Uh, subsection F, which reads, uh, a registered primary caregiver may receive compensation for the costs associated with assisting a registered qualifying patient in the medical use of marijuana. Such compensation shall not um, be considered the sale of controlled substances. So Michigan law had already made a provision knowing that money was going to change hands and it forwardly um, stated that that was not to be ever considered the sale of controlled substances mm -hmm. and did allow for Michigan medical marijuana caregivers to receive money, to receive compensation, um, not for marijuana as a product, but for the associated services. So getting back to the 10 things permissible now through licensure, acquisition, possession, cultivation, uh, extraction, use, internal possession, delivery, transfer, and transportation of marijuana, all of these things are permitted for medical marijuana care, uh, card holders. And these police officers showed up with these cards and these credentials, allowing them to acquire, allowing me to transfer, and they, they're calling that an, an illicit drug deal. So Michigan Medical Marijuana Act is actually written quite comprehensively in that uh, it, it had some forward thinking in it that allowed for um, a product to change hands without being considered the sale of a controlled substance. So, I mean, that's what gave me the, uh, the courage to do what I did. It, you know, simply put, uh, my reliance on that phrase in the Medical Marijuana Act uh, should have dissuaded my prosecution under under the, the mens rea requirement. Um, obviously, I didn't set out to commit a crime. I wouldn't be operating out of my house, and I certainly wouldn't be doing things that would uh, allow me to go to prison um, and be away from my family and my my three year old baby girl. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that's that's crazy. So, what was your what was your sentence then? So, so the, I was sentenced uh, 
found guilty on six counts of uh, the unstated marijuana crime and found guilty of six counts of possessing a gun while in the commission, while during the commission of a felony. Um, each set of those six charges were to be served consecutively with one another, which means that um, my original sentence was two years and one day in prison. Um, that sentence turned out to be illegal because the gun charge needs to be served first. So they, they hauled me back from prison in February of 2019 and resentenced me. They took away the one day in jail for the marijuana charge and uh, fined me $100, but allowed the two-year gun felony to stick to a $100 uh, alleged felony that, that was never stated. And these are all guns that you owned legally. And yes, of course. It's complete insanity. Um, Ted, b before I let you go, um, if there's anything about this case that I didn't touch on or ask you about, um, please uh, please delve into that. Well, I would just like everybody to know that uh, this problem here in Michigan is, is substantially bigger than myself in that Michigan has been prosecuting people here uh, without stating the criminal charge for the better part of, for more than 10 years now. And uh, these cases are null and void. The, uh, the requirement that the court have subject matter jurisdiction uh, can be raised at any time. Even 20 years from now, I could, I could come back and, and make this claim and have everything overturned because a court that operates outside of subject matter jurisdiction is knowingly creating proceedings that are completely null and of no effect. So the, the trouble we're having today in Michigan is that getting a higher court to recognize that the lower courts are proceeding absent subject matter jurisdiction, uh, that, that's kind of the hurdle right now. But once, once we're able to get on the, uh, on the right side of things here, um, this acknowledgement by the state's higher courts is going to get uh, a lot of people's convictions overturned um, spanning the last 10 years. And, and the quantity of those convictions is in the thousands. So these malicious prosecutions um, have been taking place for a long time. The, the courts know about it because um, Michigan courts have suspended the constitutional writ of habeas corpus here in Michigan. This is a perfect example of when and where and why to use a petition for habeas corpus in that this is a radical defect having to do with subject matter jurisdiction uh, where the courts knowingly maliciously prosecuted to create null, null proceedings, null conviction. So that's what I'm working for. Um, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. The, uh, the courts can't do this. I mean, think about it. I was prosecuted for over a year. I mean, the criminal prosecution was harassment enough, but then to find me guilty and throw me in prison where no criminal charge was alleged in the first place, um, that's just political oppression. That's, that's treason because a court, the court cannot operate with power it does not have 
and courts are doing that. Um, it's a usurpation of, of the powers provided by Congress, and they simply can't do that, and we simply can't allow them to do that. So I've got a I've got a petition filed with the United States Department of Justice, and you know hopefully what we're going to see here is is uh, something we've seen around the country where where the feds step in and just fire everybody in the county and and start prosecuting them criminally. I, I think that could actually happen here. I mean this is of that significance and. Um, my case is fraught with, with examples all the way through. I mean, the, the components inside my case are kind of the minutia they want me to talk about. The fact that the trial court never allowed me to participate. Um, the trial court kept bringing me to court without notice. I didn't have a lawyer. So when the court wanted to do something to me, it just sent a bailiff over to get me, um, no notice. And finally, I just stopped going. I, I said, hey, look, you know, I object to the notice defects. I mean, get your act together is basically what I told the judge. And, and uh, of course, that went over like a turd in a punch bowl. But, you know, it's, at some point, we have, to, we have to own what we know and use it to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't jerk me out of a jail cell just because I'm a hostage. I mean, where's the due process? You know, and this whole thing is about due process. It, it's a specific avoidance of due process requirements to not tell the accused what he's accused of doing. So, you know, and that's why the, the proceedings are null, because you can't you can't do this. You can't do this to the people. Well, I mean, for as bad as your experience was, it could have been worse. Um, you know, no-knock raids coming in your house in the middle of the night, you being a gun owner. I mean, things could have gone a lot differently there. Thank God it. I mean, thank God it didn't. And you know, they were able to. You were able to be taken in without any any uh, you know anything happening to you, to you or your family. Because we've seen that across the country with these raids um, going sideways. Which uh, you know, I'm 100 percent in favor of banning them altogether. I don't think they should be used. They shouldn't be a a tactical tool of police at at any level. Uh, they've completely misused it and abused it and. Um, turned it into a, a very, very risky situation with almost no reward. Um, you know, Steve, with, with that being said, is there any way for for my listeners to to help you or to support you? Is there any, I mean, do you have a social media or a website or anywhere people can go? Well, I just created a, a fundraiser uh, account. I'm not quite finished with it, but I'd like to share the link if, if you're uh, amenable to that. Sure. Um, what we're trying to do is raise funds, not to pay some lawyer, but to um, a, a group of us have gotten together that are legal writers, and um, we we're putting together a class action lawsuit against the prosecutors of Michigan for doing this to people over the last ten years, and um, we're going to have uh, quite extensive copy costs and, and things of that nature. There's no legal fees. Um, but, but still the expenses are going to be quite high to, to prepare and to maintain this action. All right, Ted. Well, thank you uh, so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Thank you for listening to today's show. Another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, We kick off every single week 
with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest-running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just, just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lines of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.